0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Dine-In Brooklyn is a 10-day event featuring restaurants in the greatest borough on planet Earth. Learn more at dineinbk.com and discover the best of Brooklyn's restaurants Monday, March 20th through Thursday, March 30th.
0: I'm Tim Gunn, author, educator, and Project Runway mentor, and you're listening to Heritage Radio.
2: Welcome to Magnifico Radio, the weekly podcast featuring conversations in ethical fashion, clean beauty, and sustainable living. I'm your host, Kate Black, and if you're listening live on the Heritage Radio Network, that means it's Monday at one o'clock here in Brooklyn. Welcome. Each week I sit down with designers, makers, and leaders in sustainability to discuss their path and motivation. This podcast is an extension of my blog, Magnifico.com, and that's Magnifeco.com, and my book also called Magnifico, Your Head-to-Toe Guide to Ethical Fashion and Non-Toxic Beauty. Today's guest is multi-talented and wears many hats. In addition to model, scientist, activist, entrepreneur, and author, one thing's always remained the same for Summer Rain Oaks, her urban oasis. Inc. magazine describes her as an ivy league educated model as well as a scientist who sees entrepreneurship as a means to fight for the environment it's my pleasure to welcome welcome summer rain oaks hey there happy to be here nice to see you so let's start back in history when you went away to cornell what were you planning for your life
3: Oh, boy. Well, first and foremost, Cornell was a dream school for me. I had wanted to go there since I was 13 years old, and I used to stay overnight with students while I was a high school student. Uh, They had a really excellent program called the Red Carpet Society, where you could live and stay and shadow a student, and that was my first foray. I I think they thought it was funny because typically people do it when they're a senior, and I was doing it when I was um, just like just turned into my teens, and um, and really fell in love with the school partially because of the emphasis on a liberal arts education. They were uh, had an excellent academic program in the environmental science arena. They also, I was also very m- much interested in Native American culture. And they had this um, infamous uh, teacher, uh, professor um, in the Native American studies whom I really wanted to, st- wanted to take. And uh, I just met so many mentors along the way who have really touched so many parts of my life. So, you know, my, my idea of going to Cornell was, was really, I thought I was just going to you know, perhaps just be one of many students at Cornell um, because you don't have much to compare to. I grew up in a very small town in northeastern Pennsylvania. I graduated with about, I think, a hundred and three kids in my high school, and you know, here here it was Cornell where they have maybe fourteen thousand kids on campus, and um, I didn't recognize that I already had a, a very good understanding of ecology going into university because that's what I loved in high school and um and i think my professors and my advisors really took notice of that so for the longest time and even still now i think that you know i thought that i was going to be working on large scale ecosystem based management projects so what i mean by that is you know an environmental challenge or issue that happens across a regional level which i think is more now of where a lot of people are focusing a lot of uh, non-governmental organizations are focusing largely because environmental issues have become so large that they're t- taking a look at like macro regional initiatives in order to be able to whatever it is curb climate change secure our water cycle what have you and that's what i thought i was going to be doing for so long and then I got this idea in my head that I wanted to be able to communicate environmental issues out to a wider audience, and it helped that my roommates were like four boys who had nothing to do with the environment. They were like communication majors, mechanical engineers, civil engineers, and I would be the butt of all their jokes, like park ranger and all that other kind of stuff, but it really... It really educated me because I I recognized then that if I wasn't able to communicate to my best friends why I love what I do, then I'm not going to make any impact in life. And that is my first foray into going into a more pop cultural lens. I settled on the industry of fashion because at the time, I thought it was the furthest you could get from environmental issues. And I thought that would be an interesting project and challenge for me to be able to tie those two worlds together. And that was like circa 2001, 2002, 2003. So mind you, it's been, you know, well over a decade when when this was Uh, manifesting itself in my, in
2: my head. And so did that lead to modeling? Like, were you, did you decide, okay, I'm going to get into fashion and I should know more about it vis-a-vis I'm going to be a model. I really embrace the idea of understanding the psyche and
3: of of the of the industry that you're trying to get involved in. I had no design background and the only link that I ever had to the fashion industry was the fact that there was a great fashion school within Cornell. Gr- granted that fashion school is way worlds away from, you know, New York City. And I never was really interested in fashion as a young girl. I mean, I didn't get my first pair of jeans until I went to college because I felt like, oh, that's what people wear here. So I must I must need to get my pair of jeans. And I got out of my spandex. I wore spandex for almost my entire life up until college. And uh, and I, you know, I grew up with National Geographic and not fashion magazines. And I think, you know, in hindsight, that really set me up to not be you know, destroyed by the fashion industry as many people feel like they get emotionally affected by it. And the only way that I thought I could actually get into the industry was covertly, almost like a wolf in sheep's clothing, if you will. And because I was tall and I had a certain shape, I figured, well, let's try my hand at modeling. And if I model, well, then I'll only partner with brands that align with my values, which to, to be honest with you, only made sense to me. I mean, if you're going to put your face on something, if you're going to bring a product home to, you know, to have your kids eat, um, you're not going to give them something that you don't believe is good for them. And also, you know, simultaneously, if I were to be somebody who, you know, gets into the industry, I would want to stand by that the product or service. So I think that by going into the industry with a little bit of Maybe naivete, it really um, set me up for uh, what I've become today or what I had become over and the role that I fulfilled or has have fulfilled over the course of time, which, you know, a lot of people ended up calling me the eco model because I was able to tie my values together with what I knew. And I hated that term at first. It didn't, it didn't like inspire any kind of sincerity or seriousness. And I, I felt very serious about what I was doing, even if I didn't have a clear path of where it would lead. And, but then I, then I, you know, just sat with that. And I think with anybody who's been called the specific name, you could let it bother you. But for me, I was just like, okay, I'm going to own this. I'm going to, take this box that they put me in and turn it into some kind of origami. (laughs) And so that's how I really approached the industry. And I, I felt lucky enough that by the time I got out of university plus a couple years after, um, that it, it really started to take shape, but, um, but I'm glad I started it in university because if I hadn't, I don't think that, uh, my, my career would have taken off the way that it did because i i wouldn't have been able to you know spend all that time investing in it while i was in new york it's yeah. an expensive place to live so in college i at least had that safety net
2: to back up on and it's and it's so fascinating to me because the people that we have on the show are usually multifaceted, um, but you in particular, like so, you have and when when we first met, you were eco model um, scientist and then also author. So and it was very like we met at um, Eco Chic in Geneva. So you were walking the runway in this fantastic. I just had Christina Dean on a couple shows ago, so we were reminiscing about that event. You were doing a runway show in the um, League of Nations Hall at the United Nations in Geneva. But then, during the day, you gave a seminar on the importance of sludge, and, you know, like, so it's very, it's very kind of interesting to see how people can marry their passions into a career that kind of moves forward so let's move a little bit forward so the book came out then you got really deeper involved into the fashion industry you launched source for style and then did a couple of other endeavors was it was it your calling was it was it calling out to you the the projects or was it more just the entrepreneurial journey that was was kind of leading the way
3: I think opportunity begets opportunity. And, you know, just to go back, you know, on that element of the the sewage sludge, that was one of the uh, elements of me that made me, you know, recognize that we have to kind of change our existing systems. Like my, my research was in sewage sludge within college. And I found that so many of the organic chemicals that were being applied onto land or, was you know coming from like triclosan that was found in our beauty products or on our fashion products to prevent antimicrobials or or nonal which we use like t- to you know wash our clothes and all these things were were a, a vast chemical concoction so even though something like that as esoteric as that doesn't seem to be so connected it is and i think as you're trained as like a systems-based thinking you realize every industry you know, is connected. So even, you know, for me on the entrepreneurial side, I always look at like, what problem can we really solve? And I think that's a challenge now, now being in the entrepreneurial space. I mean, I see a lot of friends and colleagues and people that I know who, Fabricate problems up, I, you know. I think that if we spent more of our time actually trying to solve problems from the start, we'd be in a much better place. And using all that human capacity in order to be able to solve real problems, and I, I kind of approach these things as you know, opportunity because you know as i was writing my book which is my first book which was back in 2009 style naturally it was on sustainable fashion and beauty and the whole point of it was we were at a kind of a point where people still described environmentally conscious fashion as jesus sandals and hemp sacks
2: and granola and crunchy. granola and
3: crunchy and you still have some of that so my my goal with with that book really was to create a very colorful Approach to sustainable fashion and beauty because even the books that had come out were still very like black and white, and um, and so I feel feel like with Style Natural that really accomplished that. But in my research of the book, I began to speak with a lot of designers, and designers were like, you know, I really want to source more sustainably, but like you're the scientist, you're the one who spends the time in this field. I don't know what that means to me, just tell me that I'm doing the right thing. And so I was like, well, what can empower designers to source more sustainably? So during my time in writing the book, I had told one of my colleagues, Adam, who had worked with me, that my goal was really to create a company like A Source for Style in order to be able to empower designers. And and jointly around that time, I was working with major brands like Payless and Portico and Moto, eventually Toyota to help and think about their products to source more sustainably for specific lines or their entire line of their product. And I was like, well, I can only do like four of these a year before I really tap out as far as time, because time's a luxury. So Source for Style was really that ability to be able to scale up what I had already been doing. And I found my business partner at the time, Benita, who had um, uh, was one of the co-founders behind Mercado Global, which was one of the first marketplaces that like really looked at, you know, fair trade in a more high fashion light. And um, we set out to uh, eventually do the company. It's now called Les Souk. So it still is in existence. And gosh, we incorporated that back in 2009, shortly after my book came out. So it's, it's been around and, And, uh, you know, being a female entrepreneur is very different from being a male entrepreneur, even though I can't say I've ever been a male entrepreneur. (laughs) But um, but I you know, you know, because you're in the space. So.
2: Very interesting. I was just thinking, because you also won the Cartier Award. Like, being a female inter- entrepreneur has its challenges, but then there's also special awards. Like, so you guys won the Female Entrepreneur of the Year Award, so you got a little influx of cash in 2010, was
3: that? Yeah, I can't remember the exact year, but the Cartier Business Awards, I think it was more in 2000, it might have been 2011, because we really took on our venture capital investment in 2012, And um, and... That was great, because you know, we were putting in our own money into the the whole thing. I ran that I ran Sorcerer style out of my house for eighteen months. and um and it it really helped because women, need to support women in business and men need to support women in business as well. I mean, the statistics just go to show you that like women run businesses are that much higher on return. And I think a lot of women, I don't want to speak for everyone, when they come up with a business, it's not a business where they're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, do this and I'm going to sell it like in two years. You know, oftentimes it's something that they really love and they would want to do for the rest of their lives. And that was really the case for, you know, my business partner who is now the CEO of, um, of Lesouk. Like she, she really wanted to do this for the rest of her life. And I think that is a testament to how a lot of us feel about running something that we
2: really truly fully believe in. I love that. That's a perfect segue to where we're going to go when we come back from the break. Hold on.
1: Dine in Brooklyn is a 10-day event featuring restaurants in the greatest borough on planet Earth. Taking place Monday, March 20th through Thursday, March 30th, Dine in Brooklyn is celebrating the five-star flavors that make Brooklyn a must-taste destination. From the Asian-inspired flavors at Nightingale 9 and Carroll Gardens to classic barbecue at Mabel's Smokehouse in Williamsburg, the Brooklyn restaurant scene has something for everyone. Unwind with a bottle of vino at Soignet Restaurant and Wine Bar in Park Slope, dream of summer at Clemente's Crab House in Sheepshead Bay, or be transported to a Gothic Irish monastery while drinking a Guinness in hand at the Wicked Monk in Bay Ridge. Restaurants are offering their choice of $28 dollars prefixed three-course dinners, $15 two-course lunches, or $12 weekend brunch. Visit dineinbk.com to view all of the participating restaurants and their menus. Make your reservations now to discover the diversity of flavors that Brooklyn has to offer. Dine-In Brooklyn is taking place Monday, March 20th through Thursday, March 30th. Learn more at dineinbk.com.
2: we're back. You're listening to Magnifico Radio, and I'm your host, Kate Black, and today I'm sitting down with Summer Rain Oaks, and we're just segued before the break about following your passion as a business, and you've just come out with your second book, Sugar Detox Me. Can you talk about how, 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 from fashion to sugar? I mean, I've seen you on, I've seen you on Insta, I've seen this kind of, this battle that you've had to get healthier and kind of cut sugar out, and, and just the recipes and everything have been so inspiring. Can you talk about how this... Made its way into your life.
3: Yeah, I mean, this seems probably really left field, but um, about four years ago, as I was transitioning out of uh, my my second company, I started to I had this opportunity to get into the world of food and it was this like kind of cool thing you know you have source for style it's like internationally sourcing all over and trying to get it to local designers and all of a sudden you have um hyper local food systems and trying to figure out how to get that to to more people and so it was a real challenge for me and you know like anything i always have side projects and and i you know thought i was actually going to be writing a second book on sustainable fashion a little bit more thought provoking one and i was probably i would say generously like maybe 30 or 40% done with that and i was taking on this new food client and thought i could actually write on fashion on the side and i just realized i couldn't switch my gears the way that i could before and I was like, well, okay, well, all of my food projects are going to bubble up to the top, including sugar det- what became Sugar Me, which was a website documenting my 30-day um, sugar detox, really. I mean, it was, it was the one thing that I always thought was separating me from optimal health was that I always had a sweet tooth and I was controlled by it. I always felt I was really controlled by it. Luckily, I hadn't ever been a person who had any type of disease or a metabolic disorder or um, had massive fluctuations in weight like a lot of us do. But it it was something that I really struggled with. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to be taking such a close look at our food chain and what we're eating, I'm going to take a, a magnifying lens to what I'm eating. And that was a really rewarding project but it was a project. I didn't, I didn't mean for it to kind of start into like a next type of uh, you know, venture. People started to write in. It was very helpful for others. And then I decided to turn the website into a 10 day and 30 day guided cleanse for people to, to do themselves. And again, it's, it's all about trying to empower people to recognize that they have everything they need in order to be healthy at our fingertips. And I was eventually, you know, approached by a publisher, inevitably who I didn't go with, but, um, you know, I had started to think of this idea of, um, a cookbook and I always say it's kind of like an anti cookbook and actually Tom Philpot of mother Jones wrote an excellent article recently about like how he believes that, um, you know, cookbooks are, are passe the I way that, that, yeah, the way that they're, they're done nowadays. It's in the sense that, you know, we, the cookbook doesn't, uh, you know, work with like leftovers and, you know, people have to afford the stuff and actually, you know, and they don't, can't be like too precious of ingredients. And in working with the farm to fridge grocery startup, I started to recognize that people had this perception that organic was more expensive, that they couldn't get things into the refrigerator. And that could be true, but then I said, Well, if you could if I could, you know, put these twenty ingredients in your shopping cart, I could teach you how to make ten to twelve different recipes for less than what you would pay at a fast food restaurant you know and and it's highly nutritious and it's fresh and it's organic and it's it, you know it's picked and delivered to you and so i i started to recognize that these are the things that really tied together for me with sugar detox me. And that's, you know, my cookbook that came out, um, on March 7th. It's, it's, it goes through what I call meal maps, which, you know, are meal plans, shopping lists and recipes so that it eliminates food waste. It makes, you know, your ing- food more affordable and it goes through the lens of like whole foods. So, you know, and I, I use sugar as a lens, um, cause I think we could all probably reduce, you know, sugar in our diets. Um, but it, it it uses it as a lens to start looking at like how I could eat and prepare and understand whole foods better.
2: Well, and it's so funny because you've been very transparent with your life. Like you often will be shot in your, in your apartment. And so people who follow you on social, know kind of personal sides of your life. Like I I knew you were going through this sugar, um, detox in the summer. And like, so people can, you give that access and people have always known and seen this kind of urban oasis in the background of your, of your loft in Williamsburg. But in that time, when you were starting to to document that, you started to say, well, these are my microgreens, mm-hmm. or these are the lettuces that I've grown in my, and all of a sudden it just started to kind of become very, for me, compelling. Cause I was like, oh, you're making that salad with things that you've grown yourself, right? So it just, so now your current project, which is Homestead Brooklyn kind of started to weave its way in and really and gained a lot of traction, even before you kind of put the book out and, and were able to transition because now you have, I don't know, tens of thousands of followers on Insta and you've started this YouTube channel. Let's talk about Homestead Brooklyn.
3: Yeah, sure. And again, these things are just like, you know, uh, something happened and actually was connected to my relationship with the food world. I had been at a food conference at the, the food book fair and one of my friends, Liz, who's pretty well known in the space was like you need to meet with Eliza I had been I was curating a um a food waste art exhibit and I was using a lot of the food waste that I had in my home that would like you know potatoes growing ears and a ginger growing you know growing a little stem and I, I so I have these in my home cuz I typically would then go and plant them and uh, you know kind of regenerating your kitchen scraps and um and so i was curating this art exhibit for you know get one of gary van church's like food food events and uh and my one friend liz is like you should meet with eliza she she is she shoots the covers for modern farmer magazine and i Spoke with her and she was like, Oh, I'm, I'm doing food waste kind of in the Dutch style of photographers, really beautiful stuff. And I said, Oh, can I actually, you know, y- utilize some of your work in the food waste exhibit? And we got to talking and I told her I was vermicomposting in my home and she like stopped dead in her tracks and she's like, You're vermicomposting in your home? Which is? Which is worm composting. It's like composting with worms and you could get like a good compost tea as a fertilizer for your plants. And I think anybody walking into the conversation at that moment would be like, what the hell are they talking about? But um, but she was great. She was like, can I come over to your house and like, you know, photograph your worms? And I was like, uh, sure, unusual request, but maybe not for the context of the conversation. Like, come on over. When she came over, she was just bowled over about like all the plants in the home. And she said, I think I could really take this to Modern Farmer and do a little piece on it. I didn't think it would go viral, but the house went viral. And from that point in October, I think you know, people's awe about houseplants and how I've been able to you know, propagate both edibles and non-edibles in my home has really hit a chord with people. And I didn't have any place for them to go. So literally a a month before I launched Sugar Detox Me, I launched Homestead Brooklyn just this past February with a YouTube channel because there were so many requests that I couldn't handle them. Like a lot of people would ask the same questions. and And again, it's all about empowering people to do this for themselves. You know, they could they could use me as a lens. But like at the end of the day. We're not going to make any impact if I'm the only person doing these things. So, um, so, and, and whatever I can in order to be able to help people to enter into that environment. And I think you know, for me, Homestead Brooklyn is a way to, you know, to, to bring people into nature, to live a little bit more simply. And whether that's through a house plant or whether that's through, a, like a walk in the park or whether that's through low waste or zero waste, you know, uh, concepts, I think that's like a marvelous thing. And, um, and so, yeah, so it's been, it's been kind of, uh, you know, again, an exploration for me as far as as far as this goes. So I'm I'm excited about what is on the potential for Homestead Brooklyn, and I, I do think it hits upon, if I will, a, a much deeper chasm that's happening here in the city. I mean, I know that you you uh, lived in the city and you come to the city often and. I hold a meditation a monthly meditation in my home for, you know, a lot of my peers, not everybody, but most of the people are in their 20s and 30s and I notice like people go through a lot of challenges here in New York. I mean, most of them are entrepreneurs. They they don't know whether they're going to be able to raise capital for their next business. They don't even know if they're working with a company. They don't know if they're gonna be there for the next couple months because they're not doing something that they like. They may or may not be like breaking up with their boyfriend or longtime, you know, partner. They they're on a month to month lease and there's all this movement, like psychological movement happening with my subset of peer group and when somebody walks into someone's home and sees a 14 foot like ficus lyrata fig tree they start to recognize like oh you know this person's not going anywhere there's like this sense of actually literally and figuratively planting roots and you know I've been in my house and I've been in my community for 12 years now I started really propagating plants about seven years ago and, um, and I think that is what's interesting about this is that there is this level of staying put, there's this level of rootedness, there's this level of like, when some people come into my home, they have this way of saying, Oh my God, it reminds me of my grandmother's home, which could be a bad thing. Cause my grandmother's home smelled of naphthalene, <laughs> but, um, but you know, it, it usually means that they're coming home, that there's something there. But it's also, I've noticed this
2: too, like... There, there's something about having plants in your home and I have so many friends who are designers um, art curators They're, Like plants are just not something on the radar and I've always had plants it's the first thing I do when I move to a new city or I move somewhere it's like okay I need to get plants and if I can absorb them or inherit them from somebody else and somebody else is kind of cu- like raised them and nurtured them I love them even more but there's something really stable about watching something else evolve and grow while your life is a little bit in chaos. Like I think there's something really planted there. And there's research too. David Suzuki um, in Canada, they have this campaign where they want you to get outside for 30 minutes a day because there's something that happens in the chemistry of the brain when you're surrounded by green. Like you can just, you know, de-stress yourself if you are surrounded by green. And I think that's why I love your, I love the pictures of your apartment because I, fe- every time I look at, at your Insta feed, I can feel that. I'm like, oh, there it is. The forest in this city so let's talk as i said in the promo or in the lead up to this show that we're going to talk about how to grow a salad in your closet so how hard is it to grow edibles
3: um not hard at all if you have the kind of proper light and conditions so i got rid of a lot of my clothes and my my closet and i turned my closet into a kitchen grow garden so for those who are um, interested or intrigued and uh actually now i have more horticultural varieties there and i'm Building out a new shelf for growing. So, what it really takes is I have um, seed trays, and what you really want, ideally, is that you'd have um, when when seeds are first starting to when you just plant the seeds in the soil. You just have maybe an, an eighth of an inch soil on top. You have a pretty humid environment. I have like humidity domes over over my my plants, and they don't need to have a lot of light when they're as seeds because. The light is not going to propagate them. They just need to be warm. Um, you need light once they start to put out their first leaves because that becomes their solar panels. That's that's what they use to photosynthesize and, and grow. Uh, so as they start to point out, pop out the first two leaves, then you could actually move them, and they need full sun. Or if you're growing under like LED grow lights, the lights need to be maybe I would say max three inches away from. The actual plant, I would say somewhere between one and three inches away from the plant, and of course, it would be useful if you had a shelf that was able to pull out and pull down as the plant started to grow. And you want to get these into you know uh, a a form that's you know big enough that if you're if you're growing microgreens, snip them with their first two, three, four leaves, and and eat them, which is what I typically do. And they're really great to grow, especially in the home, because it's quick and easy. You could have something in seven to ten days plant some more, seven to ten days later you have something else to cut.
2: Do you have to change the, the soil or can you just keep you, reseeding in the same?
3: I, I reseed for a few times but then if you want to continuously have like nutrients in your, your food you should probably switch out the soil or you could put like um, I do a, like a compost tea as well from, from my vermicomposting bin that you could actually re-nutrify the soil and, um, and I also have things growing a little hydroponically within my home but not too much And but I think what I'm going to do this year, actually, after I I leave here, I go and pick up my keys from like a community garden plot, which I'm so excited about. So what I'm going to plan on doing is keep my food crops primarily growing in in the community garden, because um, even though I'll continue to grow microgreens and herbs, I started to grow potatoes and sweet potatoes in my home and that attracted a lot of non-beneficial insects and uh and i had a like kind of an insect explosion which i had never had before and so i a- ended up bringing beneficial insects in like green lace wings and mealybug bug destroyers to kind of like get the insects at bay because i was like i have over 500 plants in my apartment i'm like i can't can't handle this but i'm i'm actually was excited about it as 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 Strangely enough, too, because I'm an entomologist by training, and so the idea of like you know bringing in insects and like having them combat one another and like (laughs) testing that out was actually
2: exciting. No, no, we're (laughs) going to push people away from this idea. Let's go back to the microgreens on the windowsill. Let's make it easy. So you're gonna, so you can still, so anybody can do it, right? They can just grow herbs. They can grow microgreens. It's easy to bring green into your life and into into your. Oh, yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. And uh, and, uh, microgreens and herbs are so easy, provided that you have light. Like I said, when when you're growing food crops, you have to have light. So natural light south facing windows are great. I have my herbs mostly in a north facing window and I have mirrors on the side to kind of bring in the extra light. Um, A lot of these grow well under artificial light. And if you are a cook girl and guy, like just like get it on because get your garden on because it's so good to have those fresh herbs to cook food i used all of those things and like my book all those photos are mine i ate that those dishes afterwards and those herbs are likely grown in my home so it's just it's so satisfying to have that and be able to to do that and then to share that with people 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 are really appreciative
2: awesome okay so where can people find the book
3: People could go to Amazon.com. They could go to Barnes & Noble, Indigo, wherever books are sold. Um, they should have some strong placement in Barnes & Noble. So you, you look up on the cooking sections. You'll be able to find it. Sugar Detox. Sugar S- Detox
2: me. Me yeah. by Summer Rain Oaks. OK. And where can they find now this new Homestead um, YouTube channel?
3: Yeah. You could follow me on Instagram at Homestead Brooklyn. And then homesteadbrooklyn.com is my website. And from there, there's a link to my YouTube channel, which is not called Homestead Brooklyn. I have a playlist called called Homestead Brooklyn. It's on my YouTube channel, which is Summer Rain Oaks.
2: Amazing. Thank you so much for coming. It's been great. Um, So now I need to do a plug. Are you a Heritage Radio Network member yet? Membership not only supports the production and broadcasts broadcast of this show but also comes with some perks all current members are invited to our new monthly happy hour series books and brews join us on April 12th at three brews and Frank at Franklin and Kent in Greenpoint with host of eat your words Kathy Irway and her new book the food of Taiwan meet other members snag a signed copy of the food of Taiwan and enjoy some beer from HRN business member threes donate at heritageradio.org slash donate to get your exclusive invite today thank you everybody for listening please Join, um, find me at Magnifico.com to sign up for our newsletter and if you have any feedback, questions want to be a sponsor or recommend a guest please email me radio at Magnifico.com Until next week Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network